children and our volunteers that are working with CFC kids to instruct them at a level that they can understand and grasp. There's a lot of seed planting happening there. Um, and we want to pray for our own hearts to receive from God's message, uh, from his word this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you with a humility. Or we ask that you would grant us the humility to receive from your word today. We want to not only be hearers of your word, but doers of your word. And sometimes it's hard to uh, really figure out what it is that you're calling us to so that we can ask you to empower us to do it. So we, uh, we pray for clarity today so we can leave here with a better sense of what you're asking of us, demanding of us, and what you promised to empower us to do. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It's going to take a few minutes to get into our text today because we're going to have a little bit of a longer lead-up ramp. Because I, I want us to start with a, big, a bigger question that I think our text is going to help us with. It's not the only text to help us with this big question, but it's definitely one text that's going to help us with this big question. And to some of you, the question might be obvious, but I don't think for many churches it is all that obvious. And that question is, what is the mission of the church? What is the mission of the church? And I don't mean what is like the mission statement that a particular church has. Each church is going to have sort of their own spin on what exactly the wording is of the mission statement. But underlying all of that, universally, all solid churches should have some sense of what their primary mission is. Otherwise, why do we exist? What are we supposed to do? How do we know if we're doing it well, if we don't know what the mission is? Uh, what, what should we be using as a guide for even how we spend our money or what our budget looks like? How we should be expending our time, our resources, our, our gifting, our people energy, our volunteers? And it might not come as a surprise to you that this is debated uh, among Christians. What really is the mission of the church? And what I want to present to you is two sort of sides of the spectrum. Any church you go to is going to lean more toward one end of the spectrum or the other. To the point where some people, they'll visit a church and be like, shake their head and go in an opposite direction because there's just not an alignment there with what the church is supposed to be doing. On the one hand, you've got churches that focus on personal conversions. The mission of the church is for people to come to know Christ. Some of you are like, yeah, you know, obviously. But on the other hand, and increasingly, you've got churches that uh, believe that the focus of the church, it includes personal con conversions, sure, but the bigger goal is change the world. I'll call that world relief. Okay? Christians should be saving forests. Christians should be helping people in the hospital, people uh, that are poor or in need. So I've got this chart up there. Beat me to it. On the one hand, on the left side, world relief, and on the right side, personal convictions. Let me just walk you through. It might be a little bit of small font. I'll read it to you. And if you need me to send it to you, I can send it to you. It's, it's just a general overview. Uh, churches that emphasize world relief as the mission of the church, they tend to be driven by the church's failure to speak truth to power and or complicity in social suffering. 
The church for too long has ignored social ills. It's the church's fault that there was slavery. It's the church's fault that some police officers treat people bad when they pull them over. The church has been quiet. The church and the church's mission is to change that stuff, okay? On the other side, you've got churches where their focus is personal conversions and they're driven by the church's failure to solicit true conversions in exchange for cultural relevance and acceptance. I'm going to say that again. They're driven by the church's failure to solicit true conversions in exchange for cultural relevance and acceptance. In other words, because their focus isn't repent and their focus is join with us, throw on our church t-shirt and help us go clean up the park, people think they're in and they're not. Back to the other side. Churches that lean toward world relief as the focus, they tend to focus on group change, group repentance services, for instance. The other side tends to focus on individual change. You can't change because of your parents. You can't change because of your cousin. Your spouse might be in, but are you in? It's very individual. The other side, world relief side, tends to emphasize Uh, This is wordy, but I'll explain it, and I think it'll make sense in a moment. They tend to emphasize reader perspective in hermeneutics, which is studying the Bible, the interpretation of Scripture. They tend to emphasize the reader's perspective, whereas the other side tends to emphasize objective communication. Let me just break this down real quick, because this was originally prepared for a seminary class. I'm going to just admit that, okay? But let me break this down. I think it's really important. The world relief side tends to emphasize this global aspect, this global reality, and uh, part of the social justice cause, if you will, is, uh, I just want to be pretty frank, you know, if you're white, your interpretation of scripture is quite suspect. You need the black perspective, you need a Hispanic perspective, do you have an Asian commentary on your shelf, okay? That's very loudly spoken these days. Well, the other side wants to emphasize, yeah, we need different perspectives, but there's something objective that the Scripture is saying. And it's not like I can't read it and see it. Now, of course, we need community to interpret Scripture. We shouldn't be interpreting Scripture in complete isolation. I never read a commentary. I'm never going to listen to a sermon. It's me and Jesus in my personal walk with God, and I don't need anybody else to say anything. That's not the focus. But um, the other side, the world relief side, tends to focus on Um, One of the reasons why we don't help in world relief is because we just read white reformers all day and we don't have any perspective on anything. That's the critique, essentially. Okay, a couple more. Uh, The world relief side emphasizes measuring success more in terms of situational equality. How do you know a church is successful? Well, the church staff is not all one kind of person. situational equality. Everyone's got to have equal opportunity. Everyone's got to have equal outcomes for you to know that a church is doing well or a seminary is doing well or a church ministry is doing well. You can click on their page, look at the staff, and you can tell whether they're serious about situational equality or not. The other side emphasizes success more in terms of, I'll just say, salvational equality soteriological, about salvation. What we're concerned with, are you saved? 
Are you actually qualified to be an elder? Are you in or are you out in terms of the family of God? That's our, the, the concern of that side. Finally, uh, the World Relief side sees us having a role in ushering, uh, ushering in a broad scope of new earth realities now. Both sides believe in a new earth, that our final destination is not heaven. Heaven is a holding place. Our final destination is a new earth. The difference is the world relief side, as I call it, tends to emphasize, yeah, we need to usher that in. If God cares about a new earth, you should be recycling. If God cares about a new earth, you should be getting pets, rescuing pets out of, what do you call them, kennels? (laughs) This is quite unscripted. (laughs) The other side believes in a new earth, but believes that God has to usher that in. It's not that, you know, whether you should or shouldn't recycle, we debate that just based on the facts of whether it's beneficial to recycle, but, but we don't draw it from reading Revelation. We don't get there from reading Genesis and say, well, because God is going to bring in a new earth, I guess I should recycle my aluminum. Uh, and that has nothing to say about whether we should care for God's earth. That's a different category. Um, but one side, I mean, you read these authors, and they make the leap from new earth, God is going to make a new earth, right? And the reader's like, yeah. And then their conclusion is, well, then we should uh, do our best to make sure that, you know, the glaciers don't recede, eat less cows, drive less cars, whatever. But it's driven from this new earth reality. And the reason why I put these two perspectives up there is because I think when we get into Scripture over and over again, what we see is an emphasis on the personal conversion side and not so much an emphasis on the social change side, I think that is sort of hijacking Christianity these days. And it's really cool. Because back when millennials were first coming up, what did we keep hearing? Millennials, what, they, what millennials care about is what effect are you going to have on the world? What effect is your church going to have? I don't care what your church is doing if it has no effect on the actual world. And so churches are scrambling to create ministries that are about world change and sort of underemphasizing personal conversion. One of, the day, one of the ways that you can affect world change is gain numbers. But if you emphasize repentance and the ugly stuff of sin, you're not going to gain numbers. If you can't gain numbers, you can't gain budget. If you can't gain budget, you can't change the community. The mayor doesn't care who you are if you're 50 people. If you're 5,000 people, you might get a listening with the local politician. And so you see how one emphasis versus the other can lead to some very different understandings of what ministry can look like. And I want to clarify up front, in case I forget to later, to emphasize personal conversions is not to, is not to say the church doesn't care about homelessness, drug addiction, litter in the park. I mean, if I drive through busing and I see litter, that ticks me off. It's not that those things are irrelevant to us. But the question is not, what are the things that matter in the world? The question is, what is the mission of the church? What should the church be focused on in terms of priority, in terms of emphasis, the thing that leads to all other things? And I think we'll see 
that Paul brings this around when he is wrapping up the letter to the church in Rome. So please turn with me to Romans chapter 15. It looks like a big chunk. It is a big chunk. We're going to go 14 to, to the end, 14 to 33. But he's really emphasizing a few simple, basic things that maybe many years ago there was more church agreement across the board, and now you've got churches scrambling to be relevant to the world, to sound cool to millennials and Gen Z and whoever else, to sort of apologize for past failures, so to speak, with regard to the church's role in social issues. He spends uh, 11 chapters laying down doctrine, and then the last few chapters that we've looked at, applying it within the church. And that's where he starts first in the first couple verses here in chapter 15, starting in verse 14. Read with me. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers. Of course, brothers includes the, the entire church. That you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Okay? So his emphasis is inside the church. That you've got knowledge. That you're full of goodness. It's not just head knowledge. He fronts that with goodness. But goodness requires knowledge. And so those things go together to instruct one another into living a godly life. Right? So his emphasis is you, church, in Rome, you actual church, you meet together, you worship together, you take communion together. This is a letter to a specific location, an actual church with, with elders and leaders and deacons and visitors and missionaries that come in and out. I'm quite satisfied that you're full of goodness, you're filled with knowledge, and you're able to instruct one another. You can do the work that you're supposed to be doing inside the church. But on some points, I have written to you very boldly. Have you been following us through Romans and some of those chapters? You're like, Ugh. You know? I know, those are the ones I was like, man, I have to preach this. Uh, he wants to give them a hug, and on a couple things, he wants to give them the kind of a little grab them by the face mask, and give them a, a strong talking to, to remind them, because of the grace of God given me, because of the grace given me by God, verse 16, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So we'll just pause there a second. He's saying, I love how you guys take care of one another. But some of the things that I needed to remind you firmly on, where you're kind of, we're slipping a little bit, in that in-house instruction of one another was this division between Jews and Gentiles. You all remember that, right? He spent chapters trying to explain Gentiles need grace, Jewish Christians need grace. And one should not be prideful about the other one. Ha ha, we're the original people. Ha ha, well, we're mainly the tree now. Y'all branches got lopped off. Well, ha ha, we're, we're going to come back. Instead of arguing, enjoy that this tree is really big. It includes everybody, race and ethnicity and background between Jew and Gentile especially doesn't matter. 
You're grafted in through grace. And Paul's saying a grace has been given to me to minister to Gentiles, see? And I need y'all to remember that. The Gentiles are included, and that mission isn't over. So he reminds them of the primary emphasis that he's giving in this letter as he writes to a church is the ministry within the church, that we instruct one another, help one another. And he's not talking to just elders here. This is everybody working together, using spiritual gifts. Remember back in chapter 12, and we're members of one another. We give the love of Christ to one another. So this is in-house. So the church's initial first focus is being filled with goodness and knowledge to instruct one another. If your experience of church is you pop in, you attend, you leave, but people don't know you, you're not really being instructed, you don't instruct, you just haven't gotten in yet really. You're not at that level yet, and we, we want you to. But that's the focus of the church. The focus of the church is in-house first, instructing one another. However, he does start explaining to them that this focus can't just stay within the four walls of the church. And so he starts reminding them that this mission to the Gentiles, peoples around the world that haven't received the gospel yet, they need ministry from the church, and the ministry that they need from the church is a gospel ministry. It is a gospel ministry. He doesn't say, I need to remind you that I still need to help the Gentiles clean up their parks. What I need to help the Gentiles do is figure out how to wield that sword in a way that's equal opportunity. Nor does Paul say he doesn't care about those things. We, we don't argue from silence. Paul doesn't address police brutality. I guess he doesn't care. That's not the point. But if that were the focus and the mission of the church, I'm sure he would have brought it up. He brought it up in chapter 13. So he reminds them that they're to be filled with goodness and filled with knowledge, all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Glad you guys are there. Just don't forget not to divide that or, or along ethnic lines or religious lines in terms of background, but to unite in the gospel. And I want to remind you, verse 16, that I've been given grace by God to bring this, this middleman ministry as serving as a priest, right? Going to the Gentiles and the offering of the Gentiles to the Lord is acceptable and sanctified by the Spirit. And how does he do that? He says in verse 17, In Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Why is he proud of his work? He says, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. I'm not going to talk about anything else. I'm not here to tell you how to manage the town. I'm not here to, to get the mayor in my pocket. I'm not here for police reform. Again, do those things matter? Things matter. But what is his sole focus? What is his emphasis? His emphasis, his mission, is what Christ has accomplished through him to bring the Gentiles to obedience. And here's how it's done. Look, by word and deed, by the power and signs, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach 
the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. So let's pause there for a second. As Paul's focusing inside the four walls of the church, here's what y'all should look like. But I need to remind you that this is happening outside the four walls of the church, and that's my mission, he's saying. My apostolic mission is to take the gospel to the world. Now, what do we do with the world? Is We take the gospel out there. What does that include? Well, it includes word and deed. You can't just preach the gospel and act like a jerk. But you can't just go out there being nice and tipping your servers and helping people across the street and never say a word, right? It's word and deed. Now, does word and deed cut it? No. Power is necessary. Uh, there's power of signs and wonders. We can debate about how relevant that is today another time. Powers and wonders, of uh, the power of signs and wonders. But even if people see signs and wonders, that doesn't cut it either. You can read through the Gospels and see that. They saw all kinds of miracles. Multi- Jesus multiplying bread, for example. And they're like, man, what's for lunch? They just couldn't see past what was happening in front of them. More than signs and wonders, you need the application of the power of the Spirit of God in your life to change your life. But Paul's not going to say people just need the power of the Spirit of God outside of that word ministry. That he, the first thing that he mentioned was the word ministry. And so what's he decide to go do? He says in verse 20, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. And he means speak the content of the gospel. Gospel means good news. If you tell somebody, I have good news, and you're waiting, and then they don't say anything, and they just wash your dishes, you're like, what? so what was the good news, right? Because good news means content. It's an announcement of something, and you didn't have anything to announce. I love that you're washing my dishes, but what's the news? So churches... As we go out there and we say, we want to be kind to people and we want to be good Samaritans and we want to pay for someone's lunch and we want to forgive somebody's debts and we want to mow somebody's lawn just because, whatever it is that you want to do, those are great deeds. And Jesus talks about that. People take notice of that. But those deeds have to come alongside the preached word of God to affect change in people. There's no other way to change people. Otherwise, Paul would say, hey, here's my way of doing it. But he'd say, I, I won't do anything else because my mission is for Gentiles to change. And the only way that Gentiles can change is to preach the word of Christ. That's my mission. And so he's going to specific places from Jerusalem all the way around to Lyricum. He's fulfilled this ministry. And he's not building on anyone else's foundation, not because it's wrong to build on someone else's foundation. You remember when he writes to the Corinthians, he reminds them some people plant churches and some people water the churches that are plant, planted. And so there's different kinds of ministries. Mine is to plant, 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 plant. Other people are going to come behind me and water, and that's great. So that's why he says he's going to not build on someone else's foundation. He's picking locations where Christ hasn't been confessed yet. There are no Christians there, and he's going to spend enough time there to at least get some church going there, and then move on. Now, you might be like, well, that's Paul's mission. That's cool. So what we've established so far is we're supposed to have an in-house focus, and we're supposed to at least grant that he has an outside focus. That's great. But then you'll notice how he draws them into this gospel ministry in verse 22 and following. 
This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. In other words, I expect you to financially help me get to where I need to go. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it. And indeed, they owe it to them, for if the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this, and have delivered to them what, I, what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. There's a lot there, but it really is focusing on one particular aspect. You all are, I'm satisfied that you all are a solid church. You instruct one another in goodness and in knowledge. I need you to understand what my mission is, and if you really understand what my mission is, to proclaim the gospel elsewhere, then you'll get behind it. Right? All hands on deck. Everybody's involved. Not everyone's involved in the same way. Not everyone's going to be a, a literal preacher that goes around the world, but we all work together to support that preacher that goes around the world. And so he expects them to give him aid. He expects them to probably house him when he's in town. Share some meals with him. He's going to enjoy their company. And he's going to bring aid to the saints, specifically in Jerusalem. One commentator mentioned that we know there was a famine that struck Jerusalem in the mid-40s, late-40s. And so you've got saints there that are poor, maybe homeless, trying to figure out where they're going to get their next meal. So now, right there... See, right there, you can hear others, the other side, so to speak, say, see, he's not only concerned with preaching, he also wants to bring financial relief. And what I would say to that is, amen, to the saints. To the saints. Now, what I continue to see in churches and schools, in different contexts of ministry, is verses like this quoted to explain why uh, you need to give money to any number of ministries that help with building homes for homeless people or feeding people who don't have food. Don't hear me say, I am not saying, when you're checking out at the line and you've got all your bags and you feel somewhat a little bit guilty that you're paying that, you're paying that much money for that sweater, let's be honest, you're, spe- you're a little bit like, wow, I'm pretty privileged. And then they go, would you be willing to donate $2 to XYZ charity? And you're like, oh, there's other people behind you like, you know, the cashier's looking at you. And you're like, yeah, you know. That's nice of you. That's not the mission of the church. I'm not saying don't do that. Don't leave here and have lunch before members meeting. Like, I can't believe Pastor Lucas doesn't believe in supporting homeless ministries. I'm talking about what is the mission of the church when we gather in our members meeting and we look at the budget and we look at, where's the homeless ministry? Where's t-shirts for people who don't have shirts? Where's the ministry of shoes? 
This church must not care about the world. And we care about the world because we care when they end up dying, which no matter how much we throw at them, we all die. Where do they go? And increasingly what I see are churches that care more about socks and houses and plumbing and water. And those things are great, but it just extends their life a little bit longer. Are you giving them the gospel? Well, we, we, no, we, we, don't, we don't do that. We're, we're just building wells, brother. We're just building wells. What about the living water, man? What did Jesus tell the woman at the well? There's water that's better than this water. He didn't say, don't drink this water. But there's water that's better than this water, more important than this water, and that's the person that's talking to you right now. If we don't give them Jesus, it doesn't matter how many wells we build or how many parks we clean up. They die and they're lost forever. Now what you do is you begin with sort of minimizing hell, minimizing judgment. Let's take out all the songs that make us feel bad about ourselves. Then people start pouring into the seats because it's a feel-good service. And we make people feel better about themselves by saying, look at the houses we built. Look at the wells we built. And we're like, yeah, mission accomplished. I'm not saying we don't care about those things. My heart is weighed by towns where a hurricane went through and destroyed everything. What I'm asking is, what is the mission of the church? We have limited resources, limited gifting, limited money. What should our emphasis and focus be? I think we stick with the emphasis and focus that we see in the Word of God. I can put it to you in an illustration. I hope it works. But imagine you know that there's a little kid across the street, your neighbor's family, and that little kid needs money. That little kid needs money for whatever, a surgery, something important. And you're like, man, I, we should really give our money to that family to help them. The problem is you only have so much money, and your own child has been diagnosed with an illness. Is there a priority there? I, I think it'd be pretty derelict of a parent to be like, no, there's no priority. That kid was sick a week before my kid, so my money should go to that kid. And you send your money to that family's kid while your kid sits there dying. Now, Paul is concerned with giving to the saints. Now, are there other people in Jerusalem that were affected by the famine? Whose role is that? Romans 13. That's the government's role. What's the church's job? The church's job is to make sure that our brothers and sisters, we call that family. That's my kid. We don't know them. I've never been to Jerusalem. There's, that's still your kid. Brothers. Brothers. We have a spiritual family in Christ that extends throughout the entire globe. This is probably why we need to spend a little less time watching videos of Johnny Depp's divorce, and a little more time understanding what's happening with our brothers and sisters across the globe right now, including executions, starvation, jail time. That's your brother. That's your sister. And they're more important than clean up at Bussy Woods. When you go to Scripture, and I challenge you to do this on your own, when you go to Scripture and look up any kind of social ministry, justice for the poor, 
It's in-house. It's take care of your own people. You read through the book of Acts, people gave all their money and put it in a big pot and took it to the park and gave it to everybody who had need. Incorrect. They took all their money. Some of them even sold property to put their money in a pot to take care of the needs of the church. Not because people out there don't matter. It's that there's enough needs here in front of us. We often quote Jesus about offering water and visiting in jail the little ones, right? And how often do we hear that to be water to Jesus' little ones all over the world that are just everybody? Or just random people in jail. You don't know why they were there. Murder, car theft, but visit them. If you visit them, you visited me. Now, who is the body of Christ? Christians. Why are Christians in jail? He promises disciples, y'all are going to be arrested. And the church's job is to not just leave them hanging. They were arrested for preaching the gospel, and we're like, I don't know. I'm going to just go shop at the mall and give to whatever charity they tell me at the checkout. No, that's our job. Our brothers and sisters that are put into trouble or harm's way And when Jesus says, when you do it to my little ones, you've done it to me, he's talking about believing brothers and sisters in Christ. That doesn't mean we don't care about anyone else in jail. We should have evangelistic ministries to gain brothers and sisters in jail. I think it could be appropriate for a church to have like a literacy program. Let's help these inmates get out of jail and land some good jobs teaching them how to use computers, or teaching them how to work with their hands. I think that's great. I do. But if that's going to be a church ministry, my first question is going to be, how does that get the gospel though? In other words, if we can come alongside and tutor them in using computers, but as I'm tutoring them to use computers, I say, I need you to be clear on why I'm doing this. You can, you can be as literate as you want and make as much money and get whatever job you get out of here. But there's another prison that you're stuck in right now. And the only way to be free is the grace of Jesus Christ. Well, we're not going to talk about that because our job is computers. That's not my job, computers. We can do computers. We can stuff backpacks. Where's the gospel? When Tina gives an update later today about the baby ministry, the baby bank ministry, don't think I haven't had this conversation behind closed doors many times. I love that we're helping moms save babies and not kill them. Should we be concerned about that? Yes. Is the mission of the church saving babies? No. That's not the mission of the church. The mission of the church is getting those moms converted so they can raise those children and train them up in godliness. Otherwise, what's the point? What is the ultimate point in it? Our concern is not either or. I'm not saying don't give to anything else. I'm saying don't give to anything else if it's going to jam you up from giving to the first thing first, which is the mission of the church. And the mission of the church is the gospel ministry within us, toward each other, and outside the church. We care about personal, actual conversions. First, the other things that we can do to get their attention to help them, good works. Hey, we're going to build this well. In our first service, as we gather around this well for the first use of it, we're going to preach John 4. 
because that's the well that really matters. It's not an either or. It's when we build the wells and we downplay the gospel because that kind of gets in the way. People don't really get excited about that. Let's just do what gets people excited. What we should be excited about is when we do help single moms and we do save babies or we do help people get back on their feet or whatever we end up doing, but not outside of the proclamation of the only thing that will save them in the end, which is Jesus Christ dying on a cross because they deserve death. So did I. And that's the only reason why I'm here. I'm not going to give you a handout so I can sleep better at night. I did my part in the world. No, I didn't. If I don't explain the gospel to you, I did not do my part. And I failed. I just did what seems nice. And then I virtue signaled it. I took the selfie. Here's the backpack I stuffed. Here's the dude I gave it to on Lower Wacker. Well, did you talk to him about the gospel? I mean, it's great. I'm glad you gave him a backpack. Our mission is the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's what saves. That's what saves. And look how he emphasizes the specifics really quickly. You've got him going to Jerusalem. He's bringing aid to certain saints that are there. He's going to come back to them. You know they're going to ask him about it. How'd it go? We gave you that sack of money. How'd it go over there? Well, here's how it went. It went like A, B, and C. And so we don't want to just throw money at missionaries. In July, just giving you an example, Regan Martin, uh, a missionary that moved his family to South Africa to train preachers there to preach. Okay? They don't have seminaries. They don't have homiletics books uh, often. And so they are low on resources. He goes there to train them. In July, he's going to come here and give us a report. That should be exciting. When I was a little kid, I went to this Baptist church. Everybody wore suits, and they had a service almost every day of the week. And when missionaries would come in town, kids would line up with their Bibles and have the missionaries sign the front of the Bible. Why? I think because the church was emphasizing your heroes aren't baseball players. I don't care what signatures you have on a little baseball and a little plexiglass thing in your wall. These people that are going out there in the front lines, they're going to the corners of the world that you and I, some of us, will never ever go. And they're doing the work of gospel ministry. Have that guy give you a signature. Because those are the people that we support and we labor in prayer for. Get familiar with the missionaries we support. Gil Zinke and his ministry. Uh, Gordon through Five Stone Churches, etc. And then here, finally, one way that we can all strive together and support is through prayer. In 30 to 33, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, in other words, so I don't get killed, so I can keep going, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that my ministry would actually be effective when I'm there. I don't want to just not die. I want to live and do what I'm supposed to be doing, and it should be effective, and it should bear fruit. And then verse 32, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Refreshed, why? So he can get back out there and keep going. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So now he's going to close the letter moving forward, and we'll address that next time. 
But his appeal to them is to strive together with him in prayer for the effectiveness of his ministry. Most of us are not going to get to South Africa. Most of us aren't going to get to Globetrot with Gilzinki. Most of us aren't going to get to do what Gordon, I believe, is doing now. Somewhere, helping out a church, get on their feet. But what we can do is, besides financial support, is to pray for them. It's to actually pray for them. Not, I'm sending you thoughts on Facebook. That's great. But actual pray, you know, actual prayer. A couple ways to do that real quickly. One is come to our services where we pray. Remind me, hey, we haven't prayed for our missionaries in a while. I need that reminder too. And we should pull them out and say, yes, let's pray for them by name. Let's pray for their ministries. Let's look at those updates that Riley sends and actually read them and go, yeah, those are specific things I could be praying for. Carl Schultz, just baptize somebody. That's awesome. Pray for that somebody by name and ask that the Lord would grow them and continue to encourage Carl and Kathy and the work there. With missionaries that visit us, ask them questions. Kind of compete with each other. Like, who's going to take them out to lunch? And ask them how it's going. How can we help you? How can we bless you? What are some changes that you're seeing in your ministry there? And then use it in your own time when those emails go out and we remind you of the work that our missionaries are doing, just take a moment there after you read the update, just 30 seconds, 60 seconds, just pray for them. Pray for them by name. Pray for something. If you have a regular prayer routine, I hope you do, put their names in there. If you have a journal that you walk through or something like that, maybe once a week, just take five minutes and pray for the missionaries that we support here at Christian Fellowship Church. Pray for our ministry here within Christian Fellowship Church. That's where he started out. Do we instruct one another well? and pray for our church that we would do that well, that that would be our focus. Pray that when our missionaries come and visit, verse 32, that they would find joy, come to us in joy, that they would be refreshed in our company. We want to be a refreshing uh, moment for our missionaries that are out there hard at work. Refresh them. Let them experience that joy and peace, verse 33, the God of peace that is with all of us. We want to pray for that. Notice how he says, strive in prayer. It could be translated contend, which is like Jacob wrestling with the angel. It's a fight. And that means it's got to be earnest. We're not always going to feel like praying, but we have to wrestle to pray. Why? Because the real relief of the world is dependent on the prayerful and financial support of the gospel of Jesus Christ getting out there. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that you've given us the awesome privilege of knowing you through Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that you would develop in us hearts that do yearn to see relief in the world. We, our hearts are broken when we see places devastated by storms, natural disasters, uh, terrorist strikes. Or we, our hearts are broken when we see wars when we hear of rumors of wars, and we don't want to be the Christians that just duck away, we just do our little private Bible studies and we don't care what's happening in the world, but we do want to be focused on the real answer. We want to, be, we want to emphasize the real answer that is the good news of Jesus Christ. And so whether we do that through preaching, whether we do that with preaching that comes alongside good deeds, and those good deeds can be any number of things, Father, we pray that our focus would be in the right place. We pray that we would see fruit 
from our efforts outside of these walls. That as we talk to our neighbors, extended family members, uh, we pray for our ministry of the baby bank, that we would begin to see people walk out of here with more than a bag full of diapers, but a heart full of your word planted deep in their hearts so that it would sprout and bear fruit and so that those kids can be raised in godly households. We pray for men to step up in those situations, to find you and to lead their households biblically. Father, we pray for our missionaries. We pray wherever they are right now and all across the globe or home recharging. We pray that you would give them fresh wind in their sails. We pray that you would give us clarity on how we can support and encourage their ministries better. We pray in July when Regan Martin is with us that uh, we would be a, a refreshing uh, fellowship for him. And Father, now as we close in this song, would you align our hearts with mission and we would leave here with the sense of um, not doing less for society, but doing more for a gospel mission and making that our focus, Father. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and we'll close.